leads to Acts 2.37. Thank you, worship team, for a very nice job this morning. Last week, we uh, talked about the real, real meaning of Easter. Today, I want to talk about the real, real meaning of Acts 2.38. But let's start by reading our passage, which is verses 37 through 41. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Now, when they heard this, the crowd in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, 33 A.D., after Peter's message about Jesus, they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? They're convicted, and they feel very sorry about their sin before he tells them to repent. Notice that. Peter said to them, Repent, and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Well, that's a message this generation needs to hear, too. So then, those who had received his word were water baptized. And on that day, there was added to the brand new New Testament church about 3,000 souls, about 3,000 people. Last week we said the real real meaning of Easter has nothing to do with the Easter bunny or Easter eggs or Easter baskets. Uh, and we said not even some of the things that are positive and true that are said that are the meaning of Easter. They're not the real, real meaning of Easter either. People say kind of themes of renewal, even the darkest night is followed by a bright new day even the coldest winters fall by the warmth of spring. That's what Easter really means, kids. That's not really what Easter is all about. The real, real meaning of Easter is after his death on Good Friday as a substitutionary atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world, Jesus Christ was resurrected. I mean, we mean literal bodily supernatural resurrection from the dead on the first Easter Sunday. So that's what we talked about last week on Easter Sunday. Today we're going to look at Acts 2, 37 through 41, as we continue our study of the book of Acts. And we're going to focus on the real, real meaning of Easter. Because look at this, Phyllis. I mean, when you read verse 238, it sounds like he's saying you've you got to get baptized to be saved. You've got to get baptized and the waters wash away your sin. That's what it sounds like. In most English translations, Peter said to them, repent, and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean, and why is it important? It's important because over the centuries of church history, there have been more than one group that have referred to a passage like this to teach that unless they baptize you, um, you can't be forgiven of your sins. And, and that seems to contradict so much other biblical data we need to look at that very closely. So we'll, with God's help, we'll do that this morning. Uh, let's pray for our teachability and our teacher and for our troops, peace officers, and firefighters before we get started. Now, Danny and Lisa, it's funny. You guys never get any older. 
And the rest of us veterans seem to get older, but you guys uh, seem to stay just the same. I guess your daughters get have gotten bigger, right? Yeah, yeah. That's what. It's funny how that works. The kids get older, and we don't. But Danny, uh, pray that we'll be teachable this morning, and uh, we always pray uh, for the troops and the, and the other folks that take care of us too in a special way. So pray in that direction, okay? Well, to warm up our capacity for abstract thinking, uh, we're not going to say goodbye to the Easter Bunny just yet because uh, before we dive into our very important passage, I've got six brain teasers about the Easter Bunny. Uh, what happened when the Easter Bunny caught his head in a ceiling fan? It took two ears off of his life. <laughs> what is the Easter Bunny's favorite restaurant? IHOP. IHOP. What else could it be? What does the Easter Bunny get when he makes a basket? Two points like everybody else. (laughs) What did the Easter Bunny say to the carrot? It was nice gnawing you. You got to think about it. Um, There's actually two possible answers to this one. How do you catch the Easter Bunny? The first one, hide in the bushes and make a noise like a carrot. That'll work. Or hide in the bushes and pretend you're a head of lettuce. I made that one up. (laughs) And uh, the last one is, what's the difference between the Easter Bunny when he's angry and a phony $100 bill? One is bad money and the other is a mad bunny. (laughs) All right, we continue our, uh, is your capacity for abstract thinking warmed up, Dr. D? Okay, very good. Uh, served its purpose then. We continue our study of the book of Acts, and uh, although there are ma- amazing things happening in chapter 2, don't miss that as Peter preaches in this chapter, and two weeks ago we looked at verses 14 through 36. We saw his introduction to his message to the crowd of unbelievers gathered in large part because of the miracle of the manifestation of languages God had performed in beginning the New Testament church. Lots of outer tanners because of the Jewish holiday of Pentecost. Uh, when Peter begins that message, you're taking a guy who denied Christ three times, cussed about it, and now just uh, 60 days later uh, is proclaiming fearlessly the resurrected Christ. You know why he's doing that? Because he had seen the resurrected Christ. Okay, Clay, this is not... Uh, fairy tale time. These are real people, real places, real events. And so two weeks ago, we began his proclamation. We looked at his introduction and kind of his explanation for his message and then the body of it where he's citing Old Testament passages to connect the dots and saying, this Jesus that the Romans crucified and all of you were tacitly in agreement with because you thought he was a troublemaker, uh, kind of messing up the status quo, he was in fact the Messiah, He's the Messiah. He's Lord. He's Yahweh in in human form. You you had him killed, but God raised him up from the dead. And it's in response to that, just to to kind of remind ourselves what we saw. Look back uh, in that section. Look back with me at uh, verses 22 through 24 real quick. Uh, He says, men of Israel, listen to these words. Here he is fearlessly proclaiming Jesus to a group that had tacitly agreed with Jesus' crucifixion, with the Romans in the fortress Antonius looking down at them from their guide towers, 
could have arrested him and crucified him that day. He doesn't care. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God the Father, with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, as you know, this man, the God-man Jesus, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you tacitly agreed to him being nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men, these Romans that have occupied our country now. You put him to death, but God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death. Impossible for him to be held in its power. And then we read in uh, verse 34, it wasn't David talking about himself in Psalm 110, but he's talking about the Messiah who after his ascension would be told by God the Father, the Lord, God the Father, said to my David's Lord, his greater son Jesus, at the ascension, sit at my right hand in heaven until the end times commences, and I'll make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God the Father is the author of the plan of salvation, Jesus being the active agent of the plan of salvation, Holy Spirit being the activating agent of salvation, that God the Father has made him manifest as Lord, fully God, and the Messiah, the Lamb of God, this Jesus whom you crucified. That's where we, what we saw last time. We were in Acts. That's where we stopped. Today we're going to pick up right there, Nathan, and they're going to say, what do we got to do? They are convinced after Peter preaches Scripture and Jesus to them, that they blew it. They've totally blown it, and we're going to see their reaction to that. And the passage breaks down with their question, their um, contrite question, what can we do? We've blown it. Peter's answer, which is controversial because it sounds like he's saying you've got to be baptized to be saved. And then the aftermath of that. Look at verse 37. Now, when they heard this, that whole message, and I've summarized the gist of it just a moment ago, they were pierced to the heart. That's the Holy Spirit convicting them that they blew it. They feel very sorry. Today, I think we tend to use the word repentance for feeling sorry. They feel sorry. Feeling sorry for your sins doesn't save you. Changing your mind about your sin, you got it. Yourself, you can't fix it. And the Savior, he's the only one who can through active receptive trust, that's how we receive salvation. We're saved not by faith, but through faith. It's the passive hand that receives the merits of Christ. We're saved by the merits of Christ, his death and resurrection for Derek. Through faith in Christ, Derek receives that. That's what they need to hear. That's what Peter tells them. They're pierced to the heart. They said to Peter, who's speaking, and the other apostles up there with him, brethren, what shall we do? Well, that's the question you love to hear. Uh, you know, quite often I'll say the only place in the Bible where anybody says, what must I do to be saved, is Acts 16.30, which is, that's a direct quote from Acts 16.30. And, of course, uh, Paul's answer is, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Here, Peter says, repent and receive the forgiveness of your sins, and then you need to each be baptized. That's what he says, and I'm going to try to show you that saving repentance and saving faith aren't two sides of the coin as much, even though I use that analogy. There are really two ways of describing the same thing. And uh, that's what we're going to try to show you today. Look at verse 38. There's the question. What's the question? What shall we? What shall we? That's first person plural. What shall we? Not, shall I, not what shall I do? 
but what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And you need to repent for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to everybody. As it turns out, to Jew and Gentiles, it turns out, a clay, the Jewish Messiah is the Savior of the world. And salvation is by faith in him for everybody. There's no prequalifications for Jew or Gentile. Uh, and he says, and with many other words, he kept solemnly testifying and exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Uh, let's zero in on verse 38. I know uh, Jenny and Stan are interested in that verse, and, and probably Tommy, uh, Church of Christ, emphasizes that verse. Uh, the, uh, uh, the disciples of Christ emphasize that verse. Uh, those are a couple of Christian groups. I mean, you've got groups like Mormons emphasize that verse. Uh, that's why they believe they have to baptize people for the dead. So people who want to, in the, in the broad Christian tent or outside of it, sometimes read this verse as meaning you've got to repent, and, and then you've got to be, and really feel sorry for your sins, and then you need to be baptized uh, you know, by a preacher who's duly or, or ordained by our group, and then when you get baptized, the water washes away your sins, and then you get the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me just, I'm going to tease this out in great detail in a minute because I think it's worth the, the effort and you need to know this in some detail. But, I mean, people go, why do you go in so much detail? Well, you know what? If I need major surgery and the doctor says, well, here's the x-ray, and I don't know any of the technical terms or anything, but I'm just telling you, we've got to transplant your head. <laughs> I'm going to go, couldn't you be a little more specific than that? Uh, sometimes the details are important, but... Uh, what you got here is repent is grammatically connected with the forgiveness of sins. Quite often when we give commands, we have essential commands and incidental commands. Because this would never happen at your house, okay, Henry? But let's say on a, on a Wednesday night, mom and dad are wanting to hurry up and go to a prayer meeting, and you and your brother are playing a video game. Your mom might say, hey, Henry, if you don't put that controller down and get in the car, we're going to be late for prayer meeting. Now, technically, could you disconnect the controller from the game and walk the controller into the car with you? Technically, you could do that. Drop, putting down that game controller isn't an essential condition. It's an incidental condition, right? What's the essential condition? If you don't put the controller down and get in the car... We're going to be late. What's the essential condition? It's getting in the car, right? Uh, we could say, uh, this would never happen at the Cox house, but Pam might say, Homer, if you don't put the paper down and drive me to church, we're going to be late. And they're never late. They're always here 30 minutes early. This is one reason they're my favorites, okay? I, everybody's equal except for Pam and Homer. They're not equal. They're better than you people. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but she could say, uh, if you don't put the paper down and, and, and get in the car, we're going to be late. Well, technically, he could take the paper into the car, right, and still be on time. So you've got that. But more importantly, when you look at the Greek grammar, you know, Luke wrote it in Greek, the Greek grammar connects the command to repent directly to the promise of forgiveness of sins. The incidental command to be baptized is like a parenthesis, and it's not connected uh, to the forgiveness of sins. So I think the key to understanding Acts 2.38 is realizing what's happening here grammatically. And I would say, I'd, I'd start with saying the key to Acts 2.38, understanding it, the, the real, real meaning, Stan, right? Acts 2.38, that's what we want, the real, real meaning, 
is recognizing the question that elicits Peter's answer in 2.38 is phrased in the, in the plural. Uh, the, the, the subset of the bigger crowd that's pierced to the heart that's going to come to faith is saying, what shall we do about this Jesus? And we is plural, right? I, singular, we, plural. I'm going uh, to Puebla. Uh, the other team members, we are going to Puebla. That's, that's one singular, one plural, right? Uh, the answer Peter gives is in the plural. The answer to the question, the, the essential answer, the essential command is all y'all repent. Now, I hate to use Oklahoman on you, but we do that all the time. And in the Greek, they can put uh, verbs in the singular plural just like in English, but they spell it differently. So you know by the spelling, we don't do that in English so much, whether it's singular or plural. And what shall we do? The answer he gives is all you all need to repent. You need to change your mind about your sin, yourself, and your Savior. You got sin, and this is one of the major ones. The law can't save you even if you try hard. The Savior is the only one who can. All y'all repent for the forgiveness of all y'all's sins. The command to repent and the promise of forgiveness of sins is plural, and they're connected in the, in the grammar. The parenthesis, the incidental command is singular. Each one of you, after you repent, repentantly believe, then you ought to be baptized. That's a good thing to do. If you're married, you probably ought to wear a wedding ring, unless you're playing basketball, lifting weights, or playing golf. Then it's okay. There's a technicality. You can take your ring off then. Uh, And we all know that somebody might not wear a ring for whatever reason and be married, and somebody could put this ring on. They wouldn't be married to me or Debbie or anybody else. Although someday they'll be, that'll be legal. You can marry like five or six people of various sexes and it'll be out, it's all good, you know. No differences uh, there. Uh, but uh, that's the essential summary of the answer. Repentance, not baptism, is connected, is the basis for the forgiveness of sins. And again, just saying the same thing twice. Metanaeo is the dictionary form of the verb for repent. It's second person plural here. Your sins is second person plural. You connect second person plural with second person plural. All y'all repent for the forgiveness of all y'all sins. And then, as an expression of that, each one of you ought to be baptized. But all of them can believe right where they stand. But you've got to baptize them individually. So you go from plural to singular. Uh, now, the relationship here kind of looks like this. All y'all are commanded to repent. And all y'all that do repent will have all y'all's sins forgiven, and then each one of y'all will be baptized. Baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. Look at this, Jenny. Repentance is connected to the forgiveness of sins. That's what happens first. That's an internal reality. They can do it right where they stand. Right? What shall we do? You've got to repent. You've got to change your mind about your sin. you got it. Not just tacitly agreeing with the lynching of the Lord Jesus, but everything else in your life. Look at that. Uh, change your self, attitude about your, your, your sin. Change your attitude about yourself. Listen, what the Pharisees teach? They thought you can lift yourself up to heaven by your own bootstraps. They taught salvation by good works. What does Paul say about that in Romans 3? By the works of the law, how many people are going to be justified in God's sight? By the works of the law, no flesh. No, no, nobody can be justified by keeping the law because the law, Danny, isn't a ladder that could be used to climb to God. It was a mirror that showed everybody 
we, we, we break the law. We, we're lawbreakers. Huh? What do you call somebody who steals something? Thief. What do you call somebody who hates somebody? Abjectly. Jesus calls that person a murderer. Same thing. We're all thieves. We're all murderers, you know? And he says, you've got to change your mind about your sin and yourself. You can't fix it. And your Savior, God has validated Jesus is, is God in human form and Messiah. He's the Savior. And that's what's being said here. That's the essential command. What's the incidental command? Be baptized. Being baptized is important for believers. Uh, we can fill this tank in two hours. We can baptize on the fly if you want to be baptized real quick. The early church, all the data in the New Testament is that people pretty much came to faith and as quick as possible got, possible got baptized. It's, it's kind of like uh, you want to get your letter jacket just as soon as you can. One of the happiest days of my life was the day I got my letter jacket in high school, and they made us wait from the uh, golf season in the spring into the early fall. And I have looked forward to very few things in my life with as much as anticipation as getting that letter jacket. Okay? And then I wore it for like the next five years straight. You know, I never took it off. You know? But uh, looking forward to stuff. Yeah. So it, the essential uh, command is what? Repent for the forgiveness of your sins. The incidental command, the, the uh, visible sign and symbol is baptism. And they pretty much, the early church wanted it to be baptized as quick as possible because they were really happy about, and, and proud. And also, uh, because Christians back then kind of had a target on their back, and it's getting to be more and more that way now, they weren't necessarily sure they'd be around next month to get baptized. That's probably another motivator in some cases. But that's essentially what we're dealing with here. Now let's talk about the meaning of saving repentance. There's actually two words in the Greek. Metanaeo. Meta means to change. Metamorphosis, the caterpillar changes into the butterfly, right? And noeo means to think. The, the noun form for, for thinking is noose. I always think of a noose, you know, but uh, naeo means to think and noose means thinking. Meta naeo means to change your thinking. And when you change your perspective, that's going to be the basis for changed actions, but it's changing your thinking. That's one Greek word. There's another Greek word, metamelamai, which is very hard to spell, but a lot of fun to say, metamelamai. Uh, it means to feel sorry for something. The only person in the New Testament who said to metamelamai about anything, guess who it is? Some of you I told this week, so you can't guess. Who's the least likely person to have really, really, really felt emotionally crestfallen at doing a shameful, horrific thing? His name is Judas Iscariot. The only person who said to really, really feel sad about something he did in the New Testament, metamelamai, using that terminology, is Judas. But that wasn't saving faith. And, you know, I grew up in a culture where repentance really just meant really, really feeling sorry for doing bad stuff. And I get that. I've done bad stuff and felt really sorry about it. But I, I wasn't saved as a little kid because I really felt sorry I was a bad guy or as a sinner, which I was. Uh, and I'm just going to tell you, in verse 37, they're already feeling really sorry about what they did. So there's no reason for them to command them to feel sorry for their sins. Metanoeo means to change your mind about your sin. You got it. It's on you. It's your fault. You're liable for it. Yourself, you can't fix it. 
and the Savior, Jesus Christ is the Savior, and he died for your sins and rose again. So saving repentance is always about volition, making decisions, changing your mind more than emotion. Uh, hey, when, the day I got saved in the back row of a Southern Baptist Revival, age nine, in Opelika, Florida, that's a real place outside of Miami, I felt very sorry for my sins before I trusted Christ. And I would think that would be a normal emotional reaction based on your emotional makeup. But if Mr. Spock ever came to faith and he has no emotions, he, there's not a certain threshold of how sorry, how emotional you are about your sins. It's about your, the object of your faith. Uh, so saving repentance is not feeling sorry. It's changing your mind about your sin self and your Savior. And it's an inherent part. It's not a different thing. It's the same thing as saving faith, which is A-R-T. As many as received him to them, he gave the right to become sons of God to those who believe. Uh, saving faith is active, receptive trust in the sufficiency of Christ to save us. I like to use the analogy, there's three ways I could tell Ron Norton to come up here. I could say, hey, Ron, come over here. And boy, that, how would you like to be sitting in church and have the pastor tell you, in the middle of a message, to tell you to come up here? Talking about pressure? I must really have something in my mind. But just, just an illustration. You don't have to actually do it. So I could say, come up here. I could say, hey, don't stay over there. Don't stay over there and do this. And by the nonverbal, I'd, I'd be saying, come over here. But I didn't say, come over here. I said, hey, don't, don't stay over there. Amanda, don't stay over there. I'd be saying, come over here. But I'd be saying the first one in a positive sense, come Second one of the negatives, don't stay. Or I could put them together. Hey, Ron, don't stay over there. Come over here. All three of those things mean exactly the same thing. The command to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the command to repent and have your sins forgiven means exactly the same thing. Believe in the Jesus Christ is like, come over here. Repent about your sin, self, and Savior as you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or... Uh, we see in the Synoptic Gospels when John and Jesus preach early on, they say, repent and believe. And there is an ascensive chi in the Greek. It's not a plus sign. It's an equals mark. Okay? Repent. That is believe. Don't stay over there. Come over here. That's the way the term's used. Now, here's the cool thing. And I didn't see this until I went to seminary and then did my own personal research. So, Dr. Toussaint, thank you for putting me on the trail on this. But you just do a simple English concordance search. And Nathan, watch this. It's like Luke is going out of his way to say, I'm using metanaeo, saving repentance, as a strict synonym for faith, for pistuo, active receptive trust. Look at this. This happens all over the book of Acts. In Acts 2.38, what does he tell them? Repent, that's plural. All y'all repent for the forgiveness of all y'all's sins. Repent for the forgiveness of your sins. A few verses later, Luke, who's writing the book, describing the people that responded to his message, calls them all who repented, had all things in common. Is that what he says? He says all those who believed. He tells them to repent. Luke says they believed. So which one did they do? They repentantly believed. You can't believe in Christ as your Savior without changing your mind about whatever you were thinking about your sin, yourself, and him as the Savior. Acts 3. Uh, Peter again says, Therefore, metanaeo, change your mind about your sin, yourself, and your Savior, so your sins will be wiped away. Luke, talking to the group that did that, says those who heard the message, what was the message? 
metanaev, repent. Glory, change your mind about your sin, self, and Savior. And when somebody in the crowd did that, Luke says they believed. So which one did they do? They're both the same thing. There's two ways of describing the same thing. I love this one in Acts 10. Can't wait to get to Acts 10. Is this Peter, again, preaching to Cornelius, a Roman centurion in his household. They're all Gentiles. First concerted expression of the gospel of Gentiles in the church age. Uh, Peter says, and, and Peter's the guy who says, repent in Acts 2 and Acts 3. Now he's telling Gentiles to believe because they're really the same thing. Everyone who pistuos in him, who's him? Jesus Christ, right? Receives forgiveness of sins. What did Peter say in Acts 2.38? Repent for the forgiveness of your sins. In Acts 10, he says, believe for the forgiveness of your sins. Is, are there two different ways to get saved? Some people can repent and be saved. Some people can believe and be saved. They're the same thing. And Luke, who talks about the controversy with legalistic Jewish Christians after they find out, you told the Gentiles all they've got to do is believe in Christ and they can be saved? Didn't you tell them they've got to pre-qualify? Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. They've got to become proselyte to Judaism, and then they can believe in the Messiah be saved like we did. They can't just believe. They've got to pre-qualify. And Peter says, no, that didn't happen. And he describes the detail of what happened. And then they go, well, how do you know? What do you know? That's terrific. God has granted to the Gentiles, not just the Jews, the repentance that leads to life. Hey, I told them to believe. I told them to believe. And it really happened. It was real. And they got saved through faith in Christ. Wow, God gave them saving repentance. That's great. Which one they do? They did both because saving repentance, changing your mind about your sin, yourself, and your Savior as you trust in Christ, is an essential part. Now watch this. You don't have to be a theologian to be saved. You don't have to be able to spell or define propitiation, metanaeo, or pistuo. Just like a little child, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and he saves you. But uh, when you analyze it under the microscope, this is the kind of stuff you see. It's like putting the the, uh, snowflake under the microscope. I always thought when they, they always say every snow, snowflake looks different. Have you heard that? And I'm sure that's true, but how do you put a snowflake under the microscope? Wouldn't it melt? I always wondered, I, I guess they you know, have a laboratory. At, you know. How do they do that, Steve? Could you, could you look that up and do like a short report next week on that? Yeah. Um, this is Paul now. If you don't like Peter's preaching, and you know what? Nobody likes everybody's preaching. Some people don't like Chuck Swindoll's preaching. Some people didn't like Billy Graham's preaching. They don't like it. So if you don't like uh, Peter, here's Paul. Uh, to Gentiles. Uh, all people everywhere should repent. Metanaeo. Four verses later, Luke, who's writing this down, says, Some men joined him, and what'd they do? They believed. Saving repentance is the same thing as saving faith. They're not two different things. Um, I love this one. In Acts uh, 19, uh, Peter talks about uh, John the Baptist's ministry. And he says, John preached a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in Jesus. He's preaching repentance. And what he meant was he's telling people to believe. Saving repentance is the same thing as saving faith. It's not two different things. You don't have to feel a certain amount of emotional contrition, even though normally I would expect people to show contrition. Uh, he's not here today, but when David Bearden clearly burdened, he, this guy grew up with a, his 
dad was a Baptist preacher, but David, like, much like my dad, who was dragged to a, a little Christian church in Sod, West Virginia, by the greatest woman of all time next to the Virgin Mary, my grandmother. I guess she's the second greatest person after my wife. But, uh, yeah, my dad heard it every Sunday. He never came to faith till he was an older guy. But uh, David Bearden, I'll never forget that. He was very upset and wanted to talk to me on the, urgently. And I thought, oh, great, I bet their marriage is broken up or he's done something stupid. And he's coming in. This guy is big. He's strong, man. I played basketball with him one year. I couldn't believe what a good basketball player he was. And just a great athlete. Uh, he's just broken down, man. He can't even get to the chair. He's so upset. I said, David, what's wrong? I just knew he was going to say, I've had three girlfriends. I'm married to five people in five different states. You shouldn't think things like that. But. And he said, I've got to get saved. You know? I went, huh? Whoa. You know, what must I do to be saved? I said, oh, I've been waiting for 30 years to hear somebody ask me that. <laughs> Sit down, man. I'll tell you. Yeah, he was very, very contrite. It was, very, it was amazing, you know. Uh, other people, um, maybe not. So much so, uh, a lot of times uh, what is considered to be acceptable public display of emotion is a culturally based norm that's not an absolute moral norm. And in some places, I'm sure Bernhard Langer, who missed the cut by one stroke, and he's a senior golfer in the Masters this year, uh, didn't win it, but he made the cut last year. Uh, He had a wonderful conversion to Christ about 20 years ago, but I bet it was very non-emotional. I don't know, but Germans... You know, there's no crying in baseball, and Germans never cry about anything. Right, Dr. Dig? That's not stereotypical. It's just the way they are. I, no, uh, okay. Uh, and watch this. Uh, so, let's, so that's Paul talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist preached about repentance. What does that mean? He told people to believe in Jesus. And what is, by the way, what does John say about Jesus in John chapter 1? When after Jesus is baptized and tempted, and he comes back to where John the Baptist is, and Jesus uh, points out, or excuse me, John the Baptist points Jesus out to uh, John and Peter and Nathaniel and Philip and those people, what does he call him twice? He calls him, that's the Lamb of God. That's the Lamb of God. Not that's the Lion of Judah, which he is, but that's the Lamb of God. He's the one who's going to be the propitiation for our sins. You go back to Mark 1. We're leaving Luke and Acts to the Gospel of Mark. But uh, then you've got a similar statement that we read in Acts 2.38. Acts 2.38, as I think all the grammarians know this. I think you ought to put, let each of you be baptized in brackets or parentheses. I love parentheses. I've been told I use parentheses too much. But I'm going to keep using them. I'm just telling you. Uh, but I think you ought to connect the repent with the forgiveness, since that's what it means. And clearly the grammar insists on that. But you have a similar kind of statement here in most English translations of the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, baptism, repentance, forgiveness of sins. But again, what do you do there, Stan? You realize baptism, repentance, forgiveness of sins, at least the word order there is helpful. The forgiveness of sins is connected to what? Repentance, which is the same thing as saving faith. And those who repentantly believe are forgiven. And then what are they encouraged to do as a symbol, as an expression, a testimony of faith? Be water baptized because Christ was on the cross for our sins. He died and rose again. I believe in baptism by immersion. There are other modes that good Christians believe in, and I respect uh, their opinions, and they've got their reasons, but I've got to respectfully disagree. I, to me, the mode of baptism should be immersion. That's really what John the Baptist is doing, uh, not sprinkling babies and things like that, but that, that's something Christians can 
debate and not uh, get too upset about. All right, we had the question, right? What do we do? We had the answer. Uh, change your mind about your sin, self, and your Savior. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you need to do. And then your sins will be forgiven. You'll get the gift of the Spirit. And you ought to be baptized because you need to be publicly identified with Christ and not just by that one symbol. What is the normative way the book of Acts expects believers to be identified with Christ after they get baptized? Living a righteous life, but what's, what's the kind of the thing you do that connected you with the capital C universal church? Plug into a local church. You're not, but there aren't any perfect churches. You know, that's great. Every local church is a wonderful laboratory to help you learn how to love, agape love, dysfunctional people. And let me tell you what, everybody seems normal till you get to know them. And God doesn't do a sin nature ectomy on us when he regenerates us. It happens at glorification, not at justification. So we've all got our quirks, right? Question, what must we do? Answer, repent. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have your sins forgiven. And then you ought to be publicly identified with Christ and his universal church through baptism and plug into the best local church you can find and make it better, right? Uh, now the aftermath, verse 41. And we're sneaking up the Acts 2.42, and we're going to look at that in detail next week. And you guys know I, that's been a very important verse in my whole conception of ministry. Verse 42 the first Christian church, Jerusalem Bible Fellowship, not First Baptist Church Jerusalem, no, not First Presbyterian. That's when they, they didn't call it that. They called it Jerusalem Bible Fellowship, right? Had to be. Uh, what those 3,000 brand new believers and the 120 led by the apostles do in Jerusalem? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, Bible teaching, first thing. Fellowship, interaction between believers, mutually edifying. Breaking of bread, the breaking of bread, Lord's Supper, worship, and other functions of worship, and a prayer. So I love that verse. Very important to me personally, and should be, I think, to everybody. But look at verse 41, the aftermath of our passage this morning. So then, those who had received his word, as many as received him, to them he gave the right of him, children of God, those who believe in his name, that is, those who repented, uh, were, in fact, baptized. And you say, well, golly, you couldn't do that. Uh, yeah, you know, technically uh, you can, uh, we've got 12 apostles and probably helpers doing it. You divide it up, but you only have to baptize a couple hundred, you know. They were probably tired the next day, but it was a good kind of tired, you know. Uh, if we had 3,000 people want to be baptized next Sunday, we would figure, I'd have the two greatest deacons in history, uh, Mike and David, to come up uh, with a plan. We could make it happen. But let's go, let's just do that, Okay. Everybody here just needs to lead about 30 people to the Lord and get them to want to be baptized next Sunday. We'll just baptize 3,000 people, okay? No problem. You've heard about each one reach one? No, each one reach 30. <laughs> and you've got like a week to do it. Uh, yeah, as always, hey, I rejoice when somebody wants to be baptized. And by the way, uh, we, can't just like, we just want to keep it real. You know, rather than scheduling a revival, I always thought God had to decide when the revival was going to take place, you know? Uh, but that's just me. Uh, rather than just scheduling baptism and saying, you've got to be baptized whether you want to be or not, we kind of leave it up to the initiative of believers. Uh, I've had people, you know, just kind of uh, fairly after, soon after they plug into this church want to be baptized, and we talk about it, make sure they're not being baptized to be saved. When my dad 
who was dying of multiple disease, including a disease called signet ring cancer, which is probably caused by him watching the atomic bombs explode as they were tested. Don't worry about it, guys. Just put some sunglasses on and watch that thing roll, man. It won't matter. You know, he had this really strange cancer that hits like five people a year on top of his other things. And, uh, you know, uh, a guy who I didn't think would talk to me when I left dental school to go to seminary uh, wanted me to baptize him. And uh, he's talking about, I wish Grandma could see this. And I said, she's probably going to be able to see it on closed circuit TV in heaven. But I remember uh, he took me out. Uh, I went to his business, and we chatted. And then we went to his favorite restaurant. I'm not making this up, Burger King. And we chatted. And then we got in the car, and I said, now, Dad, you've got to understand that being baptized doesn't wash away your sins. So I know that, you know. But because uh, when, when he kind of pops the flare and says, get down here, I want to be baptized, I thought, I'm going to have to make sure he's not thinking that's what saves him, right? He's got to be trusting in Jesus Christ. But, uh, yeah, so uh, I, I rejoice when somebody wants to be baptized, but we allow you to take a little initiative to let us know if you're a believer and haven't been baptized or a believer and you didn't understand what happened when you got baptized, whatever reason you want to be baptized as a believer, but we can do that. And like I said, it takes two hours only. So you can call us as late as, like, 7 o'clock a.m. on a uh, Sunday, and I will personally fill up the tank for you, clean it out, and baptize you. So and expect a tip for that, but I'm just telling you, I mean, it's a little extra, you know. I, mean, I don't do any work, so. But as always, uh, salvation is uh, real, invisible, and it's through faith. That's the cause of all these good, good works that come out of it. And then water baptism for the right reasons is a fruit and it's an effect. It's a good, good work. It's visible. And that's good for us human beings. It's a great, great way to testify of your faith in the crucified, buried, risen Christ. But it's only a ritual. And you can be baptized every Sunday. Without faith, you wouldn't have eternal life. Uh, if you're not baptized, you're still receiving through faith Jesus Christ as your Savior if you're a believer. And that doesn't uh, save you. You know, the core of the gospel is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And at the end of the atoning sacrifice, he says, it is finished. Three words in English, one word in the original Greek, and it means paid in full. His death was a substitutionary atoning sacrifice. I mean, everything that could keep Stan Heath out of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ died and paid for. And as I like to say, more importantly, everything that could keep Brad McCoy out of heaven... (laughs) The Lord Jesus died and paid for, and uh, that his blood signed the, the new covenant salvation by grace through faith to all who believe. Uh, I like to say it this way because Jesus died for our sins and rose again to validate the saving power of his death. We don't have to die in our sins. And so, you know, today, if you've not trusted Christ, we don't have an altar call. We do share the gospel on Sundays. We do invite people to trust Christ, but it happens right where you are. There wasn't an altar call at Peter's thing either. You know, if you notice, he just says, repent. Change your mind about your sin. You got it. Stop explaining away. Yourself, you can't fix it by being more religious. Your Savior is the only one who can trust in him. Now, a couple of years ago, we did a message on baptism, uh, what every TBF needs to know about baptism, and I used the acronym BAPTISM for that. We talked about the background of baptism uh, being a, a symbol, but not the uh, substance of salvation. All the different verses that talk about salvation by grace apart from works would validate that. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, 
And baptism is a work. It's a great work, but it can't save you or anybody else. Uh, we talked about Acts 2.38, and I, you know, this is my story, and I'm sticking to it. And it has the advantage of being correct. It's all y'all repent for the forgiveness of all y'all sins. That's what it says. That's the essential part of the command, the incidental. Then all is get baptized, of course. And we'll do it for you right on the spot if you want to. Uh, prescription. Some groups say when you baptize people, you have to say, I baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's all you say over it. I don't think God is that hyped about the exact formula, but I think most uh, of those who study the New Testament would say, and I'd agree with them, in Acts, they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ is shorthand for saying they were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, baptized in the name of the law, in the name of the authority, in the saving power of Jesus Christ. I don't see that as a formula, but some people see that as a big problem. Well, Jesus said that in Matthew, but what he really meant was just be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And if you got baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, that's what the guy said over you, the gal said over you. You know, uh, you want to get rebaptized? I'll do it. I don't think you necessarily need to if you're doing it for the right reasons. But that's just my opinion. Uh, I could be wrong, but it happens so seldom. I think I'd just go with me. So, no, I'm kidding. Uh, thief on the cross wasn't a thief. He was a terrorist because the Romans didn't crucify thieves. Uh, and uh, I don't think he got baptized. Did he, Stan? He didn't have time. He didn't walk an aisle, didn't sign a card, didn't promise, didn't stop smoking, didn't do anything. You know, he just kind of got saved by grace through faith. So, and I know the Church of Christ will say, well, that was before the other kicked in and stuff. But you know, it's funny because Paul uses Abraham in Acts and Galatians as his paradigm for saving faith. And the thief of the cross was after Abraham. You know, salvation has always been by grace through faith. It's just the object of faith changes. In the Old Testament, they had faith in the promised Lamb of God, the Messiah coming. We have faith in the provided Lamb of God. It's just a different perspective. Uh, talking about the indwelling Holy Spirit, it's important when you talk about baptism to say there's two kinds of baptisms in the New Testament. And there are some passages that talk about baptism, and there's no water in the whole chapter because you've got ritual water baptism and you've got real spirit baptism, which is the function that happens normally in the church age the moment you're saved, one of the things God does is not just impart eternal life, that's called regeneration, not just give you a righteous standing, that's called justification, but the Holy Spirit makes you a member of the only church that matters. And it's not the Presbyterian Church, Methodist Church, Baptist Church, or Tangwood Bible Fellowship Church. It's the universal church of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen says, by one spirit we've all been immersed, made a member of the body of Christ, the capital C Church. Um, we talked about baptism being a symbol like a wedding ring. And we talked about different modes uh, that day. I won't go into that detail, but just realize not everybody who loves the Lord and is a believer believes in salvation by immersion. And uh, they're different. We can debate about that, but that's my conviction. Let me uh, close here. Let's reread our passage. And then I want to finish with uh, one more emphasis on the main thing. Now, when they heard this, Hey, this person, Jesus, wasn't just a troublemaker. He had all the signs and wonders that was needed to prove he's Messiah. He was delivered up by the plan of God to be the Lamb of God, but you people shined off on it. But God raised him up from the dead. And in fact, God has manifested him and proven that he is God and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. When they heard this, you got a crowd and then a large subset of the crowd, 3,000 approximately, 
They're pierced to the heart. They're feeling sorry for what they did. They realized they did it. They checked off on it. They were okay with it. And they said, what must we do? How do we fix this? And really, you can't do anything meritorious. You need to change your mind about your sin, yourself, and your Savior. Repent for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you ought to be publicly identified with the one you just repudiated. And that's a function of, of the, your faith, the fruit of it right there. It's pretty powerful, especially in that context. But the promise is for everybody. You're not unsavable now. Nobody's so bad they can't have this. And with many other words, he kept solemnly testifying and exhorting. This went on for a while. Be saved from this perverse generation. Change your mind about your sin, yourself, and your Savior. So then, those who received the word later that afternoon were baptized, 3,000 people, and that's the beginning. It's a great way to start a church with 3,000 brand new believers, right? But you're going to have to change a lot of diapers with a lot of spiritual babies like that. There are going to be issues, right? So water baptism is an important testimony to salvation, but it's not part of the terms for receiving salvation. Good works, including submission to water baptism, are fruits, effects of salvation, and they're not the root or the cause. And let me just leave you with these two that I think are really uh, helpful uh, in a practical level when you talk to people. Because I know that, uh, some of you uh, have family members that see Acts 2.38 as the key to everything, and they think it's water baptism for salvation, things like that. You may work with people like that. You may deal with people like that. In addition to everything I've set up to now, which is really the essence of it, two quick things to leave you with. Uh, you know, if, if water baptism is essential for salvation, technically Jesus never saved anybody because he never water baptized anybody. There's a little, little... There's a little thing at the beginning of John 4 that says that there was a lot of water where they went because they were baptizing, so they weren't sprinkling. They needed a lot of water. Although Jesus himself never baptized anybody. The disciples did it for him. If you've got to be baptized to be saved, Jesus said, no, I don't want to do that. You've got to be baptized to be saved. You wouldn't, wouldn't you think he'd want to do it? Because if Peter does it, he might do it wrong, you know, that's the way I always feel. If there's any way, anything to mess up, it's probably my fault. Because if I can blow it, I probably will. You know? Even the day I made the three-point shot in the basketball game with David Bearden, something bad happened, didn't it? Yeah. Ron was there. So, um, so that's that. But to me, and I, I will close with this. I, my wife has been telling me, stop telling you're going to stop. Tell, stop telling them they're going to stop and then going on. You should know that. But I just want you to know there's hope. You know, when there's hope, then you can hoopamane. Hoopamane means perseverance. And you need hope. So we're almost done. And, you know, all my messages have happy endings because everybody's happy when I end them, right? That's the thing, right, Rachel? Uh, I think this is powerful. Let's, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, just real quick. There just ain't no way that Paul would have said this if you have to be baptized to be saved. Well, we don't mean it saves you. It's just part of the terms of receiving it. There's no way he'd say that if it's just part of the terms of receiving it. I'm thinking of 1 Corinthians one uh, seventeen, but let's start here. He's talking about the visions in the church, and people in the church of Corinth are t- talking about, I'm better than you because Peter baptized me, and he's more powerful than Apollos and a lot better than Paul. We all like Peter because we don't know him at all, but we know Paul, so it's easy enough to like somebody. We, don't, we do know the guy that's just the hero over there we've never met. We love him. You probably wouldn't like him if you knew him either, just so you'll know. But 
I thank God I baptized none of you. If you're using who baptized you as the basis for a spiritual pecking order, well, except for Crispus and Gaius, I did baptize them, uh, that no one would be saying they're better than somebody else because they were baptized in my name because it's about Jesus. Now, come to think of it, I did baptize the household of Stephanus, but beyond that, I don't remember baptizing anybody else. But why are you arguing about this? But the bottom line is, this is the big one. So if this is a big issue for you, I'd circle this or mark it in my Bible so you can find it again. For Christ did not send me to baptize. If you've got to be baptized to be saved, it's the basis of salvation or even the terms of receiving Christ, and he's the Savior, but we've got to do this before he gives us his merits. You can't say that. If you've got to do it to go to heaven, you can't say God didn't send me to baptize. But to preach the gospel. He's differentiating being baptized with the gospel. You're saved by faith, and then the effect is, uh, do it the other way, right? Saved by faith, and one of the effects can be you get married and wear a ring, you believe in Christ, you get baptized. God didn't send me to baptize, but preach the gospel. What's the gospel? According to Paul, 1 Corinthians 15. Christ died for our sins, according to Scripture, was buried, rose again the third day, according to Scriptures, and he was seen by multiple people. So I think that's a really powerful verse that can really, I think, slow anybody down a little bit. Right, Tommy? Just show them that. How, how can Paul say that if you have to be baptized and be saved? I'm telling you, he wouldn't say it like that. Okay? So uh, let's give glory to God for our salvation, and let's focus on the one who saved us as we live the Christian life. I think that would be a good plan. Okay? Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the fact you have spoken and you haven't stuttered in the Scripture and you want us uh, to know what it means. On the main things, they are plain things. They get repeated a lot. Salvation is by grace through faith, not by grace plus works plus rituals. And uh, even though there were rituals when you had your people Israel doing spirituality with training wheels in the Old Testament, even though we've got rituals, ordinances today that are very important, like the Lord's Supper and water baptism, they're not the basis or even the terms of receiving eternal life. It's all about the person and work of Jesus Christ and your grace in convicting, drawing, opening, so we can see and believe. I thank you for each one who's here who is a believer in Jesus Christ. I pray that you would bless them with a strong assurance of the power of their Savior to save them and to empower them in this life to do what he wants them to do. For anyone here this morning who's not trusted in Christ, maybe they've been baptized, but they haven't trusted Christ. Maybe they have done things they think they're unforgivable now. I pray you would convict them that uh, they have a need that you can meet that salvation is about what Jesus has done for us, not what we can do for Jesus, and open their heart and eyes to see and trust in Jesus Christ alone, the one who died for their sins and rose again. Again, Father, we thank you for the freedom we've got to preach this message on this corner. We pray for all the churches in Duncan that are elevating Christ and the gospel today and all over this planet. We pray you'd be glorified on this special day of the week, the Lord's Day, when we celebrate the resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.